welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a culture and conversation podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on today's episode, I have the absolute pleasure of speaking to illustrator Kate Gardner. Kate worked on the book by Deborah Hopkinson, former guest of the podcast, Small Places Close to Home. Kate is a New England-based illustrator who finds herself inspired by quiet scenes of nature, finding beauty in moments of rest. She aims to capture the calm of these moments through her illustrations, often gaining inspiration through her mixed heritage as a member of the Nipmuc Indians, as well as the tradition of her Polish roots. She received her Bachelor of Fine Arts in Illustration at Maine College of Art and Design in 2020 and has several upcoming books. Uh, her debut picture book, which we talked about on the show today, Small Places Close to Home by Deborah Hopkinson, has already released. And Sometimes We Fall by Randall DeSive, A Family Tree by Stacey Druyard, and is just beginning work on Firefly Season by Cynthia Ledich-Smith. Kate is incredible. She started with Small Places Close to Home, and she's working on, as I mentioned, several other books. Kate and I get into a conversation about what drew her to Small Places Close to Home. Yes, that was an unintentional pun, no pun intended. What brought her to illustration as an art form from an early, early age, and what she hopes people will take away from small places close to home and from her illustrations in general. It's a fascinating conversation. I can't wait for you to hear it. But first, before we get there, I need to let you know that today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Empire Toys. Nostalgia is something everyone loves, and Empire Toys in Keller, Texas is on nostalgia overload. With toys and action figures from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and today, Empire Toys is a one-stop shop for a trip down memory lane and a chance to reclaim what was once yours but likely sold at a garage sale. Check out Empire Toys on Facebook, Instagram, or at TheEmpireToys.com. And by Self Unbound. Your quality of life, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, is a direct reflection of the level of abundant energy, ease, and connection your nervous system has to experience your life. At Self Unbound, your nervous system takes center stage as they help unbind your limited healing potential through network, spinal, care. Access the first steps to your Unbound journey by following them on Facebook, Instagram, or at selfunbound.com. Now, without further ado, my conversation with Kate Gardner is right up after this. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time, I'm really excited to get to speak to her because a previous guest couldn't stop talking about how wonderful she is, how amazing she is, how wonderfully talented she is, and everybody gets to see that in a book called Small Places Close to Home. Kate Gardner, illustrator extraordinaire. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I mentioned a previous guest because Deborah was on and Deborah was talking about a bunch of different books that she's working on and has worked on and has released and, and is thinking about, right? And all of these things where she's thinking about, she's got a, a scrap of a story in her mind over here. She's writing down something over there, always on the go, always on the go. But she, she kept coming back to small places close to home. And even off air, when we got done recording, she was talking about the wonderful illustrations that you did, Kate, for this book and how inspired it was and how amazing it was, is, and how she's excited for so many people to get to experience it. So we're going we're gonna to talk about all that here in a minute. But before we get started, 
uh, I do like to ask all of my guests, and if you're a first-time listener here, welcome. Uh, here at the Detox Podcast, I like to invite people to quote-unquote detox from the world around them and get a window into how other people live their lives. And so I like to ask my guests a question right at the start, of which I'll pose to you, Kate. What are you currently, I'm using air quotes here, detoxing from? I'm currently detoxing from self-doubt. I'm attempting to get out of my comfort zone. I have a few speaking engagements coming up. I'm actually doing my first ever book reading at my local library. Um, And, you know, I've been shy my entire life. So I'm really just trying to reframe my perspective on public speaking and view it in a positive light as a way to connect with people in the community and to just realize that it doesn't have to be scary. (laughs) You know, one of the things I I really appreciate you saying that because I think for a lot of us, and this is, uh, this is something that I would say I, I struggle with as well. And you might be listening and going, Joe, I don't know how this is even possible. You're over here, you're talking, you're always talking. I, I don't know. But I think it can it can manifest in a bunch of different ways. The idea of imposter syndrome, right? Where I, I suffer mm-hmm. from it quite a bit. And, and it's that self-doubt that you were talking about where I just feel like, ooh, I don't know. I don't know that I am as good as the person next, next over there, mm-hmm. right? Or the person I'm talking to or the person I see always talking or, or always doing or always on the go. And then I had this realization and I, I'll never forget this. I was... I was standing in front of my mirror. I was shaving. Um, it was my once a month shave because I don't get a lot of facial hair very, very often, right? That's a joke. Um, and I was shaving and I thought, it just occurred to me, I went, oh, I don't think I'll ever feel like I'm good enough. I think it just, I keep waiting mm-hmm. to like get to that point where I'm like, yeah, 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 now, now I feel like I can claim what's mine. It's like, oh, I, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. And I had like a half shaven face and I just realized that I stood staring at it and was like, Okay. And I finished shaving and was like, all right, I'm just going to do it. Whatever. Like I'm, I'm only as good as I can be Mm -hmm. and I'm better than some people. I'm worse than other people, but I'm exactly perfectly me. And I'm just never going to feel like a hundred percent comfortable and that's going to have to be okay. So I'm currently trying to detox from the feeling of right. That imposter syndrome, also that Mm -hmm. self doubt. And I love that you brought it up because I think to your point, bringing it back around to what you were saying about the public speaking it is an opportunity for you to get to connect with a whole new slew of uh, p- aspiring illustrators or aspiring authors or just kids that or peop- kids and or people right that are just very excited to learn what you have to share and it's an opportunity to to tap into what you know and 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 share that with so many people so i love i love that you're starting to reframe right mm-hmm. a- something that could have for a lot of people, I think there's studies out there that show how much it it bothers, uh, not bothers, bothers is the wrong word, but I would say um, uh, strikes fear, right, is, is the public speaking. But then getting to turn around and use it for something incredible is amazing. I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. Yeah, it's definitely something I've struggled with my whole life. And it's something you don't really think about when you're you know, deciding to become an illustrator. You think of it's like quiet life, you know, by yourself and you're like, oh, I'll never have to talk to anyone. Um, and then you, your work goes out into the world and suddenly you have to, you know, talk about it and promote it. And it's definitely uh, a bit daunting, but I've had this sort of perspective shift. I, um, even just in preparing for this, you know, I started thinking about it and 
public speaking isn't an inherently scary thing. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but like if you're running away from a predator, you know, that's an inherently scary thing. Right. Um, but not everyone is afraid of public speaking. Um, so that sort of got me, you know, going down that track of being like, I'm not actually afraid to speak. I speak every day and I'm fine, <laughs> you know? Um, it's really, I guess, the fear of embarrassment or the mm. fear of messing up. Um, so when you sort of shift your perspective on that and you're like, I can improve and I can get better at it and I can connect with people, um, it gets easier. Yeah. It does. <laughs> you are correct. Uh, being being chased, right, by an animal, that is an, an inherently fearful thing. Mm -hmm. um, public speaking, a little bit less stakes, um, I would say, from, from that perspective. But, but you're right. I think it is that fear of failure, the fear of embarrassment, and that can be uh, a crippling fear for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Getting that opportunity, like you said, to, to sort of flip it on its head and say, all right, well, I'm going to go in and I'm going to prep, and this is as good as I can be right now, and then I'm going to review and see, ooh, how can I continue to improve and, and tell my story even better? I, I was even... I'll share. I, 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 this is so top of mind for me. I just took um, a class um, on the art of storytelling. It was sort of like a one, one like a half day workshop. And uh, the guy that was teaching it, he talked about. Uh, he said, "If you have a, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly. I don't have my notes in front of me, but he said, if you have something you want to tell and you want to get better at telling it, he said, practice telling it in 60 seconds, 30 seconds." 10 seconds, he said, and then to challenge yourself, try to try to tell it in, in the length of characters of like a tweet. And and he, he gave examples of like hmm. how that extrapolates. And I was like, oh, that's a fascinating exercise. And I'm terrified because I am a little verbose sometimes when it comes to, <laughs> to speaking, but it's a good practice, right? Mm -hmm. And so it, it helps. Um, but enough about talking, we can continue to talk about public speaking and we can talk about not, we can talk about talking, or we could talk about drawing. And so let's talk about that. So um, I want to know m more about your background and how you started illustrating. What drew you, no pun intended, um, <laughs> to, uh, you know, I'll, I'll do a little peek behind the curtain for listeners. I cannot believe I, I did this. So I was I was corresponding with Kate uh, offline and we were talking about uh, the episode and, and I do this from time to time with folks is where we'll, we'll correspond with some ideas or some talking points or whatever ahead of time. And I said, I want to ask you about what drew you, no pun intended, to illustration. And I literally made the same joke and I didn't even like realize I was making the joke until it came out. That's how much of a dad I am and that the dad mm -hmm. jokes just continue to cycle through the brain. But what, what, <laughs> I, can't, I can't say it again, <laughs> what brought you, uh, to illustration uh, as an art form, as a medium in those early days? Yeah, I've always been interested in art and I'm very fortunate to have had parents who really encouraged me to pursue art um, from an early age. I think the earliest art class I can remember, my parents actually found an ad in the local newspaper. This would have been like the early 2000s. And it was this woman who was giving art classes in the attic of her barn. Um, so they would drive me on like Saturday mornings and I would go up into this barn and I just remember doing these huge collages. 
it was just me and this woman <laughs> and we were just making this huge like ocean collage on the floor of her barn um so that was like my earliest art class experience and i just i've just always done art um after that in middle school i took saturday morning art classes at a local high school and then in high school i actually took classes with a local artist, Sherry Peronto. She's an oil painter. She's very good. Um, and I loved it so much. I actually went into college thinking I was going to be a painter. Um, it wasn't actually until my sophomore year of college that I took an illustration class and realized like, oh, just kidding. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to be a painter. Um, actually, this is what I want to do. Um, I went to Maine College of Art and Design. Um, I graduated in 2020, and while I was there, I took quite a few illustration classes. Um, I just really enjoyed um, the, the sort of challenge that comes with illustration, getting a client or a project you wouldn't necessarily come up with on your own and having to problem solve. And I realized that you could also do oil paint as an illustrator, if you want to, you know, it's, it's not limiting right. in that way. Um, so yeah, I graduated in 2020 and I actually had planned on going to grad school at the university of the arts in London. I was accepted. Everything was all set. And then of course the pandemic happened. Right. Um, so my plans had to change. Um, so Instead of going to London, I ended up moving back home with my parents in Plainfield, Connecticut. My um, senior year was completely cut short. Like, I think we went home on spring break and just never came back. Wow. Um, so I was with my parents. I started working as a maid in a local nursing home. And I was just trying to draw, like, as much as I could in my free time. And I started posting on social media very little. I mean, I, I should honestly be better at social media even now. I'm not, I'm not great. Um, but I just started posting. And in July, I think it was July, my agent found me on Instagram and he sent me a message. And to be honest, at first I thought it was a scam. <laughs> like you get a message on Instagram and, you know, I was nobody. Like I, you know, I didn't have a following. Um, so it just seemed crazy. Um, so I think it was just really lucky or some, you know, miracle of the algorithm that summer I had been like following a bunch of artists who do happen to have him as an agent. I didn't know this at the time because their work is very different. Right. Um, so maybe like that pushed my account towards him because he follows his clients. I have no idea. It's just luck. <laughs> um, so I got a message from him. And we talked on the phone, and I think it was just a few months after that that I got my first manuscript, which was Small Places Close to Home. Um, and that was sort of a surreal moment in my life. Um, I definitely did not intend to be working on a book that like that soon. It all happened very fast. Um, and it was it was just a very weird time in general. It was like during the pandemic, and I, you know, I was living at home. And yeah, it was unexpected, but I had been intending to go to grad school to develop a portfolio for children's books. So I was sort of 
thinking about doing children's books at that point, but I just wasn't expecting to be jumping right in. Right. That's wild. Like, there's so many things <laughs> I just want to key in on. First of all, how incredible. Like, you're doing art class in, like, a base or a, a barn, a bar, an attic of a barn. Yeah, yeah. Yes. On a Saturday start. morning. Like, that's yeah. inc- that sounds <laughs> like a dream. That sounds amazing. Like, take me to that. So, I'm from Texas and I mm-hmm. read plenty of stories of like the Northeast and like these wonderful, like, like places to go and, and enjoy art and, and see these wonderful landscapes. And I love Texas, but it's a lot of Brown. It's a lot of hot. It's a lot of yeah. <laughs> kind of is what it is. And so there's no, well, at least I didn't find any um, attic barn uh, art classes. Cause that sounds incredible, but just like that's incredible. And then, we can all appreciate like I, I I know we're we're speaking right now at the end of twenty twenty three about something that happened in spring twenty twenty and it still feels like it just happened. Like I don't, I don't mm-hmm. it's gonna be like twenty forty three and I'm gonna be like, it just happened. They're gonna be like, Sure, grandpa. Relax. Okay. Anyways, but there there's so much so much incredibleness and then you get the offer from the agent and then you get the manuscript for small places close to home. So when you, when you get the manuscript in your hand, were you, well, actually let me even back up and say, were you told what the project was before you got the manuscript or like some idea of it before you got it? I think Steve just sent me the manuscript. I think he might've, it was over email. He might've said, you know, something small like this is you know what it's about but this is more or less the finished product okay Uh, deborah had already written it pretty much in its entirety i think it changed maybe like one or two small points but it was the full manuscript and i read it and it was like an immediate yes (laughs) i think i emailed back that same day and was like i'll take it you know (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome so with your art style um how did you go about starting to map out what the book would look like and what it would feel like? Because for those that don't know, right, it's about the the first declaration of human rights that Eleanor Roosevelt helped draft uh, in 1948? Yes, right? 48. Yes, mm-hmm. 1948. Um, which is incredible in and of itself. And it's the idea that we all have the ability or we all have the right to live our own life and and believe what we want to believe. And as long as we are not harming other people, we are taking care of ourselves and we are helping to lead with kindness. That's, that's, there's more to it than that, but right. But that's the general crux. And that's something that I'm trying to teach my kids. And it's something that I try and practice as well. And so it, it's wonderful. How did you start crafting out what the illustrations would look like for this particular book? It was definitely a challenging text to conceptualize, um, especially as my first book. Almost every line of the book could have endless interpretations. Yeah. You know, like, I deserve to live in freedom in a just and peaceful place. There isn't just, like, one visual that could be used. We went through so many sketch phases. And I don't know if it's like this for every illustrator, but I usually go through a lot of sketch phases. Um, I think I, I don't know, it was maybe eight rounds of sketches before we landed on our final ideas. It started out a lot more 
I would say my illustrations were a lot more poetic and whimsical and they made sense to me, but I don't think they would have made sense to a child. I don't know that they would have been able to connect what I was trying to say with the visual um, in the words. Um, so we ended up just, you know, deciding to go with scenes from everyday life and try to just really be as like inclusive, but not cliche. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was, it was hard to come up with like, how does this look? Like I was, I read through the text and I was like, how do I show these big ideas? But also, you know, it's small places close to home. It's supposed to be your everyday life. You know, you're supposed to be able to connect with it. So um, it definitely was a challenge. Um, I've had other books um, since that book. And, you know, there's, you know, certain books, it's like, okay, there's one way to do this. And for this one, it wasn't like that at all. And I, I had great um, art director and editor for this book. I had Dana Fritz was my art director and Donna Bray was my editor. And they definitely helped me rein in on my ideas because to begin with, it was a little all over the place. Did you get any, I don't, and I, I honestly don't know how this part of the phase is from a publishing standpoint. Did you get any ideas from Deborah about the book or was it just script and I, then you were left to infer the images yeah i honestly didn't have any contact with deborah at all until after the book was completely done um that's typically how it works in my experience okay. um you typically don't talk with the author about things um some authors i think are a bit more involved like they might have a specific idea going into it um, I did a book recently and the author did um, sort of have visual cues like in her manuscript, like it would say, you know, on this page, it should be stormy, you know, mm. things like that. Um, but for this one, it was really just the manuscript and I was left to <laughs> sort of depict it. Um, yeah, there, there wasn't a lot of notes going into it. Um, and then afterwards, I talked with Deborah and she's lovely. Right. Um, and we've since had many conversations, you know, but yeah, going into it, I hadn't talked to her at all. That's incredible. Um, it would actually, it would be interesting to know what she pictured yeah, yeah, yeah. before I illustrated it. Yeah. I don't know how different it is. Yeah. That's what I was saying is incredible is this idea of like, you write a book and someone ha interprets it right to uh illustrate and illustrates it to a style that that is both in their wheelhouse and that makes sense to them and then someone else right is helping to try and piece it together like it's just it's incredible thinking about all the different moving pieces um with regards to a book um i want to i want to add well one thing that i want to comment on that i loved about the art is the the first thing I was struck with as I was going through, I don't know what it is about the, the color palette for the book. One, the color palette in and of itself felt very fall-like to me, um, just which I loved, um, like the, the greens and the reds and the browns and the yellows um, or more like the mustards, golds. Um, I loved that and it made it feel like fall to me, which, which always to me makes it feel more like homey and cozy 
um, and community. And so I'm instantly drawn into the book. And then the more I go, the more I'm struck by how small and large the worlds feel. Um, it feels very relatable in each of the scenes. It feels like this is my community. This is your community. This is anybody who's reading its community. And yet there's also the opportunity as we continue to pull back from a visualization standpoint, the idea that it does feel so much bigger than our community, but that everybody has a community like this. And that's the goal is to appreciate and understand and respect and afford people the right. So I think it, you did a marvelous job on the illustrations. Um, I just, I keep going back to it and I'm like, I can't, I mean, theoretically this could happen at any point in time, not just like fall or autumn, but it, mm -hmm. I, I, keep, I keep coming back to it and I'm just like, uh, maybe, maybe it's because I was reading it in fall, but, uh, <laughs> but still yeah. I love it. Um, I, I, sorry, go ahead. To be honest, I did struggle a bit to find a color palette before doing this. I worked primarily in black and white pen and ink. This was my first time really touching gouache. And I tried like several color palettes before that. And I was just like, no, it's just not right. And I just kept trying and kept trying. And I finally landed on that one. And I was like, okay, I think this is like what I'm, you know, trying to go for. Something that's like a bit warm. Yeah. And I also, I, I wanted it to feel slightly timeless. Like I was... Um, a bit particular with like the clothing i didn't want it to get dated you know yeah. i wanted it to feel like it could exist at different points in time so no like um you know uh never mind i was about to date myself <laughs> with a particular piece of clothing i was gonna say but perhaps i best leave that in the the, the closet of my mind i will say um <laughs> but yes no it's definitely timeless um it really can't exist at any point and it's wonderful. And I was, I remember, I remember this now. Um, I was scrolling, trying to find the the particular page. There's a page near the end of the book um, where it talks about the, the right to live on earth and to work with others to restore and care for our planet. And you get to see uh, children in a forest and they're playing above. And then you get to see sort of what's below. So you get to see that life is, is both on the surface and under the surface. And there's a, a, there's a fox curled up asleep. And I was drawn to it because my son, uh, when he was younger, we, well, he actually still has it up in his room now, um, but we did forest animals as sort of his theme for his room mm. when he was a baby. And, and uh, the photos, we had a friend uh, hand draw some, some illustrations like that. And the fox um, is very similar to that fox and then so because of that we bought a couple of like books about where's the fox um where are you little fox like just different different books and stuff and the the fox is similar to that and so anytime i see that image i instantly feel like connected to my son and connected to my children and it, it warms me and that's i remember now that was the image where i was like okay all right i uh, got me right here got me right here in the field I'm, I'm glad yeah. I'm glad um, um that that page was really fun to work on I bet my favorites <laughs> I want to ask you about um what illustrating a work that is as important as small places close to home has meant for you personally and how you hope it's received by children and adults who end up reading it mm-hmm 
I mean, it was really an honor to illustrate this book. It was, you know, a chance to continue Eleanor's legacy and her vision for what the world should be and the freedoms and protections that people deserve. And I hope that one day we can get to a place where everyone does have these rights. Um, and I hope children just take away the message of kindness. Um, and I really hope that they can see themselves in this book. It was really important to me that this book was very inclusive. Um, so I hope that they can see themselves, everybody can see themselves somewhere in my illustrations. It's something that I know we're, we're, we're coming up on the anniversary or the anniversary is, is right around now for when the Declaration of Human Rights went into effect. I think it's so, so timely. I've been, I've been exploring this idea this year uh, for me personally and then it, it, as well as for the show about this idea of reconnecting and that reconnecting can mean a variety of different things. What I've chosen to interpret it as is the ability to reexamine something coming back around and re-examining it with a fresh perspective or with um, new knowledge. And in this case, I think when we think about reconnection, we think about revisiting the Declaration of Human Rights. Now, all this time that's passed with everything that's happened in our worlds since then, especially in the last handful of years, and thinking about how it's more, in a lot of ways, more relevant and more timely and more needed now, even then when it was first put into effect back in 1948, um, and which I, I feel is an indication of even as much progress as we've made in so many different areas, there's still so much more progress left to go to the point that when our ancestors, right, are talking about the Declaration of Human Rights all these years later, I hope they're able to look back on our time and say, wow, they did some great things. And I'm so glad we have progressed to the point where we're at today, whenever that is in the future. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think this book is very timely for right now. There's a lot of bad happening in the world. And I think this is a I, I've been reading, you know, some reviews online of people being like, this came out at the perfect time. Like I need, you know, something to, you know, help explain things to my kids and just, you know, spread a bit more of the message of kindness. Yeah. Um, and so if this book can in some way help, you know, bring Eleanor's vision, you know, to fruition in a sense, um, then I'm, I'm very glad to play a small part in it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's something, it feels so difficult. I think, as I'm speaking from the perspective of a parent, it feels so difficult when we're trying to raise humans who are better than us, so that way the next generation, the next generation continues to improve. And then it feels like the immediate world around us is trying to tear down all of that good work. And I know some of that is perception, and some of that is reality, and it just kind of depends on where you are and what's going on. But to have a book like this, which clearly states out a beautiful mantra, right? A beautiful just declaration of human rights on what we have the right to do and be and be able to give that to ourselves 
and then give that to our children and then give that to friends and others. And we can all walk into our day-to-day life with this sort of self-belief and understanding that will ground us in whatever we do. It's huge. And I did not, maybe I will say perhaps I did know about the Declaration of Human Rights and I had forgotten because as you get older, you only retain so much information that you learned in school. So I'll say I, I had forgotten about it. I'll say that. I'm not going to say I didn't know about it. We'll say uh, I've forgotten about mm-hmm. it. Um, but to have it easily accessible in a book like this, where mm-hmm. it's it's right there, like it needed to be made. It was wonderful. Yeah. Absolutely wonderful. Deborah, Deborah did an amazing job. I think she, she made it very um, easy for children to understand in the best way. Absolutely. One of the things that we've spoken about in my household, I'm trying to find the specific language where we talk about, yes. So I have the right to my own private thoughts. I am free to choose what I think and believe. And it's up to me to listen and respect how others think and believe too. We've gotten into a lot of those discussions in my household recently because, um, we, we often will find ourselves on the topic of, of religion and, and around, I would say, this time of the year that it's common, uh, especially here in the United States, for, for that topic to come up, often at school, often amongst peer groups, right, and, and, and this, that, and the other. And so what we've always led with with our children is, look, what people want to believe and is important to them is important to them, and that's perfectly fine. The, the, when it becomes a problem is when someone is trying to force their specific belief on you without you your consent and without having a discussion and and this sort of forceful nature of your their specific belief. I said that's where it becomes a problem and that's where we need to have a conversation and and talk to you and help you with sort of talking points, right? And it's like but but we we always anchor on this idea that folks are free like it says here in the book to choose what to think and believe, but, and we anchor this with our kids, right? It's up to them to listen and respect how others think and believe too, to understand that we each have different perspectives in this right uh, and in this space and that only by listening and inviting conversation will will we be able to res- learn from and respect each other. So that that's something that really stuck out to me, mm-hmm. which is a current conversation topic in our home. I want to wrap up with some advice you might have for children who are looking to become illustrators one day. I have an aspiring illustrator in my house. Um, She is eight going on 18, it feels like. Um, She has written uh, four, she's written and self-published four uh, adventure books, uh, fully illustrated. Um, Oh, I wish I, I'm, uh, it's something in turtle. It's it's an adventure of like a turtle and 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 uh, uh, sorry if you're listening to this and and you're mad at me in like 20 years because your dad's forgotten <laughs> the name of your your superhero or adventure books. I apologize, but yes. Anyways, all that to say, she's an aspiring illustrator, and so I'm trying to think about what are tips that I can give her, and then of course along with all the many other. Uh, people who are listening and, and want to know some advice for their children. 
Okay. Yeah, I have just um, a couple of tips. Um, the first being just create as much as you can and share it with everyone. Share it with your friends, share it with your teachers, share it with your family, and see if you can, if, it, if you're possible, if it's possible, um, really try and get involved in any sort of art event in your community. Um, a lot of places have free events or free art shows. When I was a kid, I would, you know, look up different like local contests and things like that. Um, but really just create as much as you can. Um, and the second is just try not to compare yourself to other people. I really think that comparison is the death of creativity. And I think many artists are guilty of this. I'm guilty of this. Um, but I really think that um, you just need to realize that there's room for everyone. There's room for all the styles. And if you're too focused on what other people are creating and how they're better than you, um, I think it's a disservice to your own work. So um, I think that's my most helpful advice. <laughs> I love it. That's fantastic advice, too. Uh, if you if you poke your head up and look over at the person next to you, it doesn't matter what they're doing. You're going to feel inferior and you're going to feel like your work isn't good enough. We talked, we started the episode talking about self-doubt, imposter syndrome. Don't do it. Don't do it. Just look right in front of you. Create the beautiful world that you're creating because it's wonderful. And that is what deserves to be cultivated and continue and continually developed is what it, what you were working on right there. Cause it's unique to you. It's not what the person next to you is doing. All right. Uh, well, this is wonderful. So if people are listening to this and they're like, Oh, what, what was that book? Again? Small places close to home. Uh, I would recommend going to your local independent bookstore, uh, ordering it there. There's a lot of other places that you can get a uh, Kate. What is the best place for them to go to, um, to pick up small places close to home? Um, a lot of local bookstores do have it, um, but there are also um, plenty of places online, Amazon, Target, Walmart, um, all the <laughs> Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, all, all they're available online. Very nice. Wonderful. Well, pause the episode. We're not done yet, but pause the episode, go purchase it. And it's the holiday season, so if you're into gift giving or you just want to donate to your local library or you want to donate to your school library or you want to donate to the person next door who doesn't have a library but needs this book, go get a couple copies, purchase, and then come back to the episode. All right, so now we are going to pivot into the final segment of the show, a segment I like to call Things to Check Out. It is a segment where I will recommend something to read, watch, and or listen to for the listeners um, that is not Small Places Close to Home because they've already gotten that. They're ready to go. So these are just additional things, and I invite my guests to do the same. Uh, so I will go first. Something to uh, watch. What have I been watching? Well, I saw I'm currently watching Fargo. Uh, which is on FX and is on Hulu. I'm not watching the current season of Fargo. Um, I realized because it's a, a, an ad or really a, a pushed Instagram ad, uh, if I'm being honest, uh, about the latest season of Fargo that's out right now. And it reminded me I only watched the first two. So I've gone back and I'm watching the third season and then I watched the fourth season. And hopefully by then, all of the fifth season will be out so I can just binge through that. So that's what I'm watching right now. Reading, I am always reading soccer books, 
Um, I am reading, oh, it's all the way over there. It's another book by Jonathan Wilson. It's about um, the soccer which took place behind the Iron Curtain in Eastern Europe uh, before, uh, in this, in that particular case he's talking about, before things like the Berlin Wall fell, before uh, the USSR was dissolved, a lot of stuff. Uh, it's really interesting reading about soccer from the journeys that he took to research uh, in, in those particular places at that particular time. And then something to listen to. I am, I, I don't know that I mentioned this on the podcast before, but I'm a huge fan of Will and Grace and uh, Eric McCormick and Seth MacFarlane, uh, Seth MacFarlane, uh, no, Sean Hayes. Seth MacFarlane is the guy, the family, family guy. Sean Hayes and Eric McCormick um, have done a Will and Grace rewatch podcast called Just Jack and Will. It's hilarious. It's wonderful. I highly recommend that as well. So that's my something to read, watch, and or listen to. Kate, uh, what are some recommendations you have for the listeners? Um, reading. I am rereading Anne of Green Gables, which was an all-time favorite of mine as a kid, and it still holds up. Um, for watching, I'm re-watching Hilda. Um, I don't know if you know. It's an animated series. The new season is coming out in December, I believe. Um, I'm a longtime fan of Luke Pearson's work. Um, it's very charming and very suitable for fall and winter, so definitely recommend. And for listening, I've been listening to a lot of NPR's Life Kit lately. Um, I like to put it on while I do dishes. <laughs> nice. I, I I cannot overstate. I'm a huge fan of listening to podcasts while doing chores. I have found I have been wasting away my life not doing that because number one, it, it's two birds, right? Or I guess it's two things I get to have done. I get to get caught up on my shows, but then also I get something accomplished. And that if I was not listening to podcasts, I'd be sitting there going, "Why do I? Why am I doing dishes right now? Why am I doing them? I know I have to do them, but why am I doing them?" Why am I doing laundry right now? Why am I vacuuming? Whatever, right? But you get to do it. I love that. Wonderful. Kate, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to and maybe uh, send you a manuscript. No. What is the what is the best way for them to do that? Um, you can find me on Instagram at Kate Gardner Illustration. Same with my website. All my handles are basically the same. <laughs> Perfect. Kate, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It has been truly a delight. And I hope you'll come back in the future. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Kate. Well, listeners, you've been detoxing with Detox. Now go and make a more inclusive world. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Detox Podcast or visit detoxpodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W.com.